You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, this is week number two in our series on uh, Daniel talking about a spirit of excellence. And I really want to encourage you, listen to last week's message because it dovetails into that series about don't limit God perfectly. And I know that's why the Holy Spirit uh, led us to go in that direction. But let's cover a couple of things that we talked about last week, just a couple of highlights that I want to just go over for you again. And that is this. First thing that I want you to see is God created each of us for success. Say that with me. Say, God God created me me for success. You know, God doesn't make failures. Amen. Now, that doesn't mean we don't miss it and fail, but that's not God's doing. That's not His ultimate desire. His ultimate desire is for each of us to be successful. The Bible says that. It's very clear about that. And the other thing is, is each of us were made for more. Say that. Say, I am made for more. God has more for me. You know, and I want to remind you of this. You will never exhaust the the supply, if you will, that God has for you. You will never exhaust the fullness uh, of God's power, uh, what he desires to do on your behalf. You'll never exhaust his love for you. Isn't that good news? Amen. So no matter how uh, how much we uh, enjoy and we get into the good things that God has, he always has more. You know, what did David write in Psalm 23? He said, the Lord just barely fills my cup. What does it say? The Lord fills my cup and it what? In other words, he doesn't know when to stop. Okay. So God is a good God. So we began talking about that. Let's look at our foundation scripture that we're basing this series on, and that's Daniel chapter 6 and verse 3. The scripture says this, Then this Daniel, talking about Daniel in the book of Daniel, most of you are familiar with him. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps. Satraps is an old word for leaders in the government. Because, here's why, because an excellent spirit was in him. Now, I want you to look at the first part of that. Who did the distinguishing in that verse? What does it say? Daniel distinguished himself because he had an excellent spirit. An excellent spirit was in him. So we're learning how to let the Lord work in us to release and to produce that excellent spirit. Now, look at what the result of him having an excellent spirit was. And it says, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Now, if just a little um, refresher is that Daniel and and several uh, young men were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon at the time, which, by the way, was the largest known kingdom or kingdom in the known world at that time. And so he conquered Israel, took the best of the best home with him because he wanted them to serve in his kingdom for him. 
And so what set him apart in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was this spirit of excellence. Now, what you need to understand, and then we said this last week, an excellent spirit. Well, let me ask uh, this question again. Anybody in here enjoy promotion? Okay. Anybody that doesn't enjoy promotion? All right. So promotion, and we found out promotion comes from where? God. The scripture says in the book of Psalms that, that promotion comes from heaven. So what we see is an excellent spirit will promote you in business, in ministry, in your family. It will uh, promote you in everything that you're setting your hands to. Having an excellent spirit will produce promotion in our lives. We also said that a spirit of excellence is a heart attitude. It's something that is an outworking of our heart attitude. Now, let me give you these definitions again so that we can understand them. The definition of excellence, and this is from an online dictionary, says this, to be consistent in good character, attitude, quality, and standards. So again, to be consistent in good character, attitude, quality, and standards. Now, I'm going to explore this more in, in a lot, another part of this series, but we don't want to confuse having an excellent spirit with a spirit of perfectionism, okay? So let me give you a definition of perfectionism. Now, this, this definition, I found a better definition this week as I was studying. That's a little bit different than the definition we found last week, but from the American Heritage Dictionary, Perfectionism is defined as this, a tendency to set extremely high standards and to be dissatisfied with anything less. We said last week that it's, it's the tendency to set unrealistic standards. So perfectionism sets unrealistic high standards that are uh, extremely hard to reach and will cause a dissatisfaction in you if you don't reach them. Perfection, perfectionism is proud and arrogant, okay? So we don't want any part of that. It is critical and judgmental of people, ideas, and work that doesn't meet its standard. See, perfectionism looks down on other people who are a work in progress. And really, if you think about it, perfectionism is a deception. Nobody's perfect, Okay, and nobody is able to live up to those unrealistic standards. So what we do is when we are operating in a spirit of perfectionism, we look down on other people that have not arrived at the level that we think we are. Okay, and so it's very important. And as I said to you last week, perfectionism is associated with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and other mental health problems. So we don't want anything to do with the spirit of perfectionism. Now, and we'll talk more about this later, everything that we just read in that definition, the opposite of it goes hand in hand with the spirit of excellence. So if, if, if you are not proud and ignorant, or not <laughs> ignorant, proud and arrogant, then you are humble. So a, hum, a humble, a person of humility is also, has a spirit of excellence because you know that you in, a, you in and of yourself, you are not able to produce that excellence. You realize that? Jesus said that without him, we are nothing. And so anything, any 
good things like the statistics that I just said to you about our podcast. None of those I can take credit for. That is all the working of the Lord. So any good things that we experience and we, uh, that we enjoy when we get promotion, all that comes at the hand of God. And so a humble attitude knows that and remembers that. Okay. All right. So a spirit of excellence, we said last week, is found in our identity. It is very important that we understand who we are in Christ. Okay, so and understanding who you are in the Lord after the new birth is crucial to you functioning in a spirit of excellence because you want to be excellent when you understand who you are. All right, can I get an amen, a hiccup, a cough or something? All right, so if you want to begin rising to the top, discover your identity in Christ and begin living out of that place and an excellent spirit will rise up out of you too. So say this after me. Say this. Say, I am a believer. I am a child of the Most High God. I am in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I have a spirit of excellence. Jesus is excellent. And he lives in me. So I have that excellence in me. Amen. All right, now, so let's pick this up and let's continue on. Here's what we're going to talk about this week, and that is this. Write this down, please. A spirit of excellence does not compromise. Compromise and a spirit of excellence have nothing to do with each other. Okay, so what does compromise mean? Let me give you this definition Compromise means to make concessions, to settle a disagreement, to accept standards that are lower than desirable. Now, what does that mean? I'm going to use another word, okay, to settle, all right? See, when we know what our standards are and what God expects of us, uh, which are not unrealistic, and in Christ we can attain those things, for us to settle for less than is compromise, okay? Now, the first part of that definition is legitimate in the sense of sometimes in relationships, you have to compromise in order to maintain the relationship. And all the married folks said, amen, all right? So, you know, if you want to have a successful relationship, compromise is involved. But in your walk as a believer, Compromise does not have any part of your life in the sense of, uh, you know, how many of you know we're not in agreement with the world? Okay, thank you for those two amens. All right, because the world is going in a different direction than what we are going, so we cannot be in agreement with the things of this world. And so compromise, it, it, to use this definition, is where we make concessions to settle that disagreement. In other words, we make concessions to go along with the way the world is going. So one thing that we need to understand about our lives as believers is, uh, you know, to use this natural illustration, you are like a fish swimming upstream. And you might as well understand that and you might as well accept that. Now that doesn't mean we're weird. It doesn't mean that we're, uh, you know, just trying to be 
any kind of way, but it does mean that at times we are going to contradict the way the world is going. All right? Now, so compromise is something that we don't want to be a part of. Now, I want you to get this. This is kind of a little side thought that I learned many, many years ago. All right? So if you're faced with an opportunity to compromise in order to keep something, like let's say you are, uh, your, your employer comes or your boss comes and suggests to you that if you want to be successful in your employment, then you might have to compromise in some areas. All right, well, let me give this little truth to you. Write this down, and that is this. Whatever you compromise to keep, you will ultimately lose. Okay, so if you are faced with an opportunity to bend the truth a little bit, fudge on your expense report, uh, you know, just little things like that that we are tempted to compromise in, I promise you in the long run, you will ultimately lose whatever it is you're trying to keep and in your compromise. Okay, so whatever you compromise to keep, you will ultimately lose. Now, so let's find out what's the answer to compromise. Well, the opposite of compromise is this. Write this down. The opposite of compromise is conviction. Conviction. Having a conviction in your heart of what is right. Okay, now, <clears throat> I'll say this to you. At some point, you're going to have to make a decision that right is right, wrong is wrong, and there is no gray area in between that. You know, that's one thing I love. Uh, you know, we've been doing business with our CPA firm for, uh, I was adding it up the other day, for uh, 18 years now. And the one thing I love about our CPA is there is no gray. You don't want a CPA that allows you to fudge stuff because it'll get you in trouble. You, you know what I mean? So, so we're like, let me give you an example. So we're in tax time right now. If you're dealing with someone who prepares your taxes and they allow you to fudge a little bit, I promise you it's going to come back. Okay. Well, thank you for that overwhelming enthusiasm, all right? So, but here's what I want you to see is that conviction, in other words, when the opportunity is presented to you to compromise, conviction rises up on the inside of you and says, no, I will not do that because that is wrong. And believers need to be established and settled and have conviction of what is right and what is wrong and stick with what is right, okay? So let me give you a definition of conviction. A conviction out of, this is right out of the dictionary, is a strong belief or opinion. A strong belief or opinion. Now there's many people that have convictions about the wrong things. They're deceived in certain areas and they feel strongly about those areas that they are deceived in. Okay, but what I'm talking about is biblical conviction, things where God sets the standard for us. God tells us what's right or what's wrong. All right, so what we, uh, you know, and I went on to put this, that conviction is what we hold to based on the word of God when everyone around us is compromising. Now, I know it's not fun, 
when everybody on your job is compromising, you know, they uh, get to work at, uh, you know, let's say you're supposed to be at work at nine o'clock. You show up at five after. You go and fix your coffee, walk around and catch up with everybody, passing by all the cubicles saying, hey, how are you? Girl, I like what you got on. All those types of things. And then you finally get to your desk to settle down and work about a quarter of 10. Okay. Well, you know, some people, they don't think that's a big deal. You know, hey, it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Because somebody is paying you to be at your desk working at nine o'clock. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. Okay. I can tell this is going to be a good one. All right. Hallelujah. All right. Now, so why do people compromise? Why do people compromise? Why do people feel like it's okay? And, and let's just, for the sake of the rest of our conversation this morning, we say this. Why do believers feel like it's okay to compromise? Well, here's why. Let me give it to you. It's because people cannot handle the thought of persecution. So we kind of want to blend in with everybody else because we don't want to look weird. We don't want to be the oddball. We laugh at the off-color jokes at work and stuff like that, uh, you know, that, that aren't right and aren't good. Uh, but we don't want anybody to think that we're strange. Why? Because if they think we're weird and they think we're strange, then they might persecute us. Or, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, you know, people might persecute us if we do stand up for what's right. You know, something even more serious than what, you know, laughing at a joke at work or something like that. See, people cannot stand the thought. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. I like to be liked just like everybody else does. Is there anybody in here today that does not like to be liked? Okay. Because we will pray for you. All right. Because you need help. No. There is nothing wrong with wanting to be liked until it causes you to cross that line and you begin to compromise for the sake of being liked. All right, so let's jump in. Somebody said, I thought we were talking about Daniel. Yeah, we're talking about Daniel. Let's look at Daniel, okay? So in the book of Daniel, we see Daniel and his three friends. Remember their Hebrew names, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, otherwise known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had already been promoted by King Nebuchadnezzar. We saw that last week because they had an excellent spirit in them. The king promoted them, gave them high positions in the government. And so the king promoted them and blessed them because they had great wisdom and an excellent spirit. The scripture actually says that they were 10 times wiser than all of the advisors in Nebuchadnezzar's circle. So these guys really had the hand of God operative in their life. So one day, Nebuchadnezzar gets the idea that he's going to make this humongous gold statue of himself. And, I mean, this guy was really on a big ego trip. So he, he has the best artisans and craftsmen in the country to construct this statue of him and and uh, to where it, it was just humongous and everybody could see it. And then he got the praise and worship team and the band 
except they didn't play for the Lord. They played for Nebuchadnezzar. And so he made a decision. He said, every time the band plays and the music is, is created, then everybody falls down and worships this gold statue that he made of himself. Now, here's what I want you to see. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow. They refused to compromise. Okay, let's think about it. Let's, let's just look at it for just a moment. How easy would it have been? They're not even in their home country, all right? They're in somebody else's country. They're living in uh, somebody else's homes and, and, you know, that they did not build, they did not construct. They're serving a heathen king. How easy would it have been when we heard the music to just fall down and worship this idol? And everybody would get along with you. Everybody would be fine with it. Nobody would give you a hard time because you were going with the flow. Well, they decided we're not doing that. They decided based on the conviction of their heart that God, Jehovah, was the only true living God, that they would worship him only, and we'll talk more about this part in just a little bit, and he would bring deliverance. Okay, so they automatically took that stand based on their conviction, and now they're going against the grain of an entire culture. All right? Okay, so what does that, what does that produce? Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar heard of their disobedience, and he was furious with these guys. Now, these guys had earlier found favor with the king. Uh, you know, Daniel had interpreted a dream of the king. I mean, the, things were going great. They took a stand. They refused to compromise. And the king found out about it and was very, very furious at them. So much so that he gathered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego back up. And he said, hey, listen, guys, I heard you did not bow. So maybe there was a misunderstanding. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have the band strike up again, and we're going to give you another opportunity. And so Nebuchadnezzar does that. He gives them an opportunity, and they don't bow again. All right? Now, here's what I want you to see. Write this down, please. A person with the spirit of excellence is not concerned with what other people think about them. And this is hard. Okay? I mean, I wrestle with this just like everybody else does. A person of, that has a spirit of excellence is not concerned with what other people think about them. In other words, when it causes me to compromise I don't care whether you like it or not, I'm going with what's right. Okay? All right? Now, what were they concerned about? Write this down. They were only concerned about what God thinks about them. Now, folks, let me tell you something, okay? In the day and the time and the culture in which you and I live, I'm going to say this to you as your pastor, you'd better make up your mind about this right here. You are more concerned with pleasing God than you are anybody else. Okay? Uh, I'm going to say it one more time, and maybe I'll get a little stronger, amen. You've got to arrive at a place where you are thoroughly 
convinced. I am only concerned with what God thinks about me and not anybody else. Now, we're not out to make people mad. We're not out to aggravate people and all of that. But when it comes down to a situation like this where the rubber meets the road, we're going to have to arrive at a place where I really don't care what you think. Okay? Again, we're not trying to be mean, but it's just the bottom line. It's what we have to arrive to. All right? So Nebuchadnezzar gets, again, is, is extremely angry at these three guys, and he calls them to account on it, and he says, hey, I found out you're not bowing. So look at Daniel 3.16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. That's old English for saying, we don't feel like we owe you an explanation. Okay, let me read it to you out of the New Living. The New Living Bible says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves to you. There's only one person that I need to defend myself to, and that is the Lord God Jehovah. We don't owe you an explanation. All right? In other words, can I say this to you? Your threats are no big deal to us. Okay? Now, I'm not believing God for, for heavy persecution. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't release my faith and believe God for persecution. But, can I say this to you? You better settle this before it arrives. Hopefully, we never experience that. But you better settle this question before it ever shows up. And that is, listen, your threats, hey, listen, we're going to fire you unless you do X, Y, or Z. And, and, and that is compromise. It goes against what you believe is the right thing for you to do. Okay? You know what? Your threats are no big deal to me. My God takes care of me. He provides for me, not this job. Okay, hallelujah. All right, so let's talk about for a second, what does the Bible say about being afraid of people? All right, let's look at Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25 in the Message Bible says this. In the New King James, it says this, the fear of man brings great bondage. In the Message Bible, I like it. It says, the fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. I like that. Now listen, we're not out to make people mad. I'm not, I'm not insinuating or implying that. But when it comes down to the, you, know, you having to make a decision, you cannot be afraid of human opinion. All right, here's what Psalm 118 verse 6 in the New Living says. The Lord is for me. Now, you're going to have to establish this conviction in your heart. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? You're going to have to get rid of the fear of people. All right? And then, you know, I'm reminded of a New Testament scripture that actually quotes Psalm 118 you might be familiar with it. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6 says this, Let your conduct be without covetousness. 
Be content with such things as you have. For God himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. See, I can, I can, if it comes down to a situation to where I have to make a decision based on the conviction of my heart, and I need to go in a direction that is opposite of what everybody else is doing, then I better know down here in my heart and in my spirit that God will never leave me nor forsake me, that he is my source of supply, he is my all in all, and so because of that, because he is for me, then I don't have to be afraid of those who might be against me. Okay? So, why, you know, and listen, have you ever wondered at this? Why Jesus, when he got arrested, you remember when he got arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane? And they took him before Caiaphas, the high priest, and they began to question him. Caiaphas and the other uh, high priest or, you know, higher priests in the Jewish faith were, were, had Jesus there and they were questioning him. And, you know, Jesus didn't say a word. The Bible says that they would ask him a question and, and then walk up and slap him. And the Bible says that they would... Uh, you know, knock him in, this is my paraphrasation, but they would knock him in the head and mock him and say things like, tell us, prophet, who just hit you? Totally mocking the Lord. Do you remember what Jesus' response was? Nothing. Nothing. He didn't, he didn't answer a thing. There was only one question <clears throat> that he answered when Caiaphas asked him, he said, are, are, are you really, do you consider yourself to be king of the Jews? And Jesus' response was, you said it, not me. I like that. But otherwise, he kept his mouth shut. You know why he kept his mouth shut? Because he did not owe them an explanation. He didn't have to defend himself. You remember what he said? And he told one of his disciples in the garden before he got arrested, uh, or actually after, while they were still in the garden, after he got arrested, you remember what he said? All I have to do is utter one word and 12 legions of angels will be here to deliver me and to set me free. You know what 12 legions is? 144,000 angels. One word. That's all he had to say. When you have that kind of knowing down on the inside of you, and of course Jesus knew what his purpose was, what his mission was, and what he was out to do in redeeming mankind and going to the cross. He knew all of that, but what I want you to see is, is that belief and conviction on the inside of him of who he was kept him in a place where he didn't feel like he had to defend himself to anybody. So, let's go back to, to Jan, Daniel chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, and let's jump in the middle of this story, okay? This is when Nebuchadnezzar gives them another opportunity. So, in verse 15, it says this, Now, if you are ready at the time, this is Nebuchadnezzar, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, 
in symphony with all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image with I, which I have made, and that's good. But if you do not worship, you will be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? So Nebuchadnezzar made them a promise. Either you worship or you get thrown in the fiery furnace. You've heard the story. Verse 16, this is where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to answer you. We don't owe you an explanation and we don't need to defend ourselves. Now, you know that made the king happy when they came back with that. Okay, so look at, let's go on verse 17. What'd they say? If that is the case, okay, I want to unravel a little misunderstanding about this story. Let me read these two verses and then I'll explain. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now, some people teach these two verses that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying this, O king, if you throw us in the fiery furnace, God will deliver us. But if he doesn't deliver us, we still are not going to worship your idol. That's not what they were saying. What they said was, look at what they said. If that is the case, what they are saying is, O king, if you make the decision to throw us in the fiery furnace, look at what they said. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Verse 18, but if not, if not what? If you decide not to throw us in the fiery furnace, we're still not going to worship your idol. Can I say this to you? There was never a question in these three men's minds of whether they were going to be delivered or not. They knew they were going to be delivered. That's confidence right there. Okay? All right, so let's see what happened. Verse 19, it says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, can I say to you what happened here? Nebuchadnezzar is a demon-possessed king. And when a godly person stands up against a demon-possessed person and embarrasses them, it, their face changes, okay? They get, get mad, get contorted, all right? And so his, his whole look changed, it says. <clears throat> and it says this, he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Now I want you to think, think this through with me. When somebody's demon-possessed and they're mad, they do stupid stuff. Can I say to you? Listen, it's already a fiery furnace. Without God's help, these guys are going to die. They're going to burn up. So why heat the, the thing up seven times? Okay? You're not thinking straight. All right, so when he commanded certain mighty men of valor who would, were in his army 
to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, fully dressed, their other garments, and were cast into the middle of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the king, because of his dumb, stupid decision, killed three of his best soldiers. <laughs> okay. And verse 23, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar arose in haste, and he was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors. Now, I don't know how he was able to see into this. I don't know if it was, um, you know, a, a big bowl looking thing and they could look over the edge of it or if he could look into the side of it. I don't know how. All right. But notice what happened. He arose and in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men into, bound into the midst of the fire? And they said to the king, true, O king. <clears throat> now, I want to show you something from the scriptures, okay? Now, somebody tell me, how does faith come? By what? Hearing the word of God. Would you agree with me that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had faith that God was going to deliver them? Okay, I think that's without question. All right, so they knew something that Nebuchadnezzar did not know. What is it that they knew? Well, Back up just a little bit. Uh, a few years before they were uh, placed into captivity, <clears throat> excuse me, and made prisoners by Nebuchadnezzar when he invaded Jerusalem, the prophet Isaiah was prophesying. Now, the, the timing of this could not have been better. Okay? So, Isaiah, the prophet, he prophesied in Isaiah 41.10, which would have been just before Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed the city and took everybody prisoner. The Spirit of God through Isaiah said this, and I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. All right. Uh, oh, by the way, write this down. They had the promise of God that they would be delivered. That's where their faith is, is based on. Okay. So they had the promise of God that they would be delivered. So there was no question about whether they were going to be delivered. They might not have known exactly how God was going to do it, but they knew they weren't going to die in this fiery furnace. All right, so look at Isaiah 41.10 in the Amplified. It says this, fear not. Now, this is one of my favorite verses anyway. Fear not, there is nothing to fear. Why? For I am with you. Do not look around you in terror and be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen and harden you to difficulties. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will hold you up and retain you with my victorious right hand of righteousness or rightness and justice. So what did God say? There's, there's three, four words in here that are key. He said, fear not, there is nothing to fear, and here's why, for I am with you. Okay, pay attention to that. 
for I am with you. I am with you. But Lord, that can't be true when somebody throws us into the fiery furnace. No, fear not, for I am with you. Okay? Now, um, if you're familiar with geography at all, and if you're not, I'll help you. In order for these captives from, the, from Israel to be transported all the way to uh, what's modern-day Iraq, okay? So if you think about it, if you look at a map and you look at where Israel is and you look at where Iraq is, that's, that's old Babylon, okay? And they didn't have trucks and planes and stuff to carry these people. They walked. So they took them captive and they marched them all the way from Israel to uh, Babylon or modern-day Iraq, okay? Now, <clears throat> If you're familiar with geography in the area, there are two main rivers that they would have to cross to get into Babylon or Iraq. They are the Tigris River and the Euphrates River. Okay? All right? Two rivers that come down, almost split the nation of Iraq now or the nation of Babylon at that time. Okay? So think about this. A few years before they're taken captivity, the Lord speaks through the prophet Isaiah and makes this statement. Look at Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 2, and I'm going to read it to you from the easy to read version. You know why? Because it's easy to read, okay? And it says this, when you have troubles, what's the next four words? I am with you. When you cross rivers, in Israel, why would they ever cross rivers? The only river they had was the Jordan. They wouldn't need to cross the Jordan River. So apparently God knew something that was coming that these people didn't know. And the Spirit of God was trying to help them. When you cross rivers, you will not be hurt. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned the flames will not hurt you. Why? For I am with you. I hope you're getting what I'm telling you, okay? The Spirit of God prepared them in advance. Somebody tell me again, how does faith come? By hearing the Word. So these men had heard directly from heaven through the prophet Isaiah, okay, there, something's going to happen. I'm going to harden you to some difficulties. You're going to have to walk through some water, but you're not going to drown. And, and, and this probably was a huge mystery to them. So when you walk through fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not hurt you. Can you imagine? Why would I ever walk through fire? I'm never going to walk through fire. I'm never going to have to encounter fire like that. Oh, but the Spirit of God knew you would, okay? So, let's fast forward. So, they have this promise. God said, for I am with you. So, you're not going to drown when you cross through the rivers. And because I am with you, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and it will not hurt you, okay? So, here's, let's fast forward again to what Nebuchadnezzar said. Now, remember, he's looking into the fiery furnace 
He just told his, his counselors and he said, hey, didn't we throw three guys in there? And they said, yeah, that's, that's what happened. Well, look at what he said. Look, he answered. You know, in the old King James, it says, behold. You know what that means, don't you? Looky him. All right. If you're from the country, that's what that means. All right. So the king said, look, he answered, I see four men loose. Now these guys bound them up. You remember? Tied them all up. Threw them in the fire. So I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had never seen Jesus. He had never seen the Lord. He did. How would you know what the son of God looks like? Well, there must have been something about this fourth man that was in the fire with them that the only thing that Nebuchadnezzar says is this guy's got to be the son of God. And he goes on to say, Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants, let's look, notice what his words were, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Mm, is right. I'm telling you, okay? So let, let's, let's recap for just a second. These guys have a spirit of excellence in them. And because they have a spirit of excellence in them, they decided and chose not to compromise when the opportunity came. And they did not compromise because of the conviction that was in their heart. What was that conviction? Well, we know what is right, and so we're going to stand for what is right. And whatever punishment the king dishes out to us, we know God will deliver us from whatever that punishment is. So, you know what? And you know, you know what I always tell people is pay attention to the what? Did you notice that when these guys were tied up and fully dressed, tied up, they know what's getting ready to happen. They ain't said nothing. Did you pay attention to that? I don't know about you, but if I was facing being thrown in a fiery furnace and I just watched the guys throw in the people before me and they died when they threw them in, they got so close. Now, listen, I've been close to some grills before, but I ain't never been so close that I died when I looked in the grill. That was a hot furnace. Okay? So, listen, I would have said, hey, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Maybe we need to reconsider here. They didn't say anything. Why? Because they knew that God was with us and is with us and this fire will not harm us. So what happened? So they go into the fire and the, you know, the fourth man didn't just show up. He was there the whole time. He was there when they got arrested. He was there when they were made captives and taken to Babylon. He was there when they were 
doing their business for the king. He was there all the time. It's just that Nebuchadnezzar saw him for the first time. These Hebrew boys knew he was there the whole time. Why? Because God had promised them, I am with you. Do not be afraid. Okay? So, let's see what Nebuchadnezzar's response was. Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be the God. His tune totally changes. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut in pieces and their houses will be made an ash heap. One translation says a dung heap. And because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king, look at this, promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now, I want you to think about this with me for just a second. Again, pay attention to details. Here you have this demon-possessed king who is absolutely, without question, ungodly. But when three men refused to compromise and took a stand for what is right... Their actions and God showing up in the middle of their situation caused a wicked, evil king to totally change his mind, totally change his thought, and no longer require them to worship a gold statue, but then said, y'all can worship your God. And not only that, if I hear of anybody in the world, because I'm king of the world right now, if I hear of anybody in the world bad-mouthing the Lord God Jehovah, who these guys worship, I'm going to cut you up into pieces. I'm going to burn your house down, and you're going to regret it. You know what this tells me? Listen, guys, and I'm not opposing when... Things, decisions around us that are wrong by biblical standards that we not stand up for it. I'm not saying that at all. But could it be that we'll have a greater impact when we stand up in the power of God and cause people to see God's power versus just us whining and complaining? Because if it... There... Nebuchadnezzar was no more wicked than some of the people that we see around the world ruling and leading today. And if God can move and change his heart, he can move and change their heart. I'm just saying. Turn to somebody and say, he's just saying. Okay? All right? So let's, let's wind this up. Write this down, please. When you don't compromise, despite the pressure... You can count on the fourth man being in the fire with you. Because that promise that we read from Isaiah wasn't just to the children of Israel. That promise is to you because you are a child of God. 
So when God says, fear not, for I am with you, be not dismayed, for I am your God, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will be with you in trouble, and I will bear you up in my hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You can rest assured and say, just as though in the same way that God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he is with me. If they throw me in the fire, so be it. But me and God are coming out. Well, I'm, 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 I'm preaching a whole lot better than me. Maybe y'all are just absorbing all this, all right? Now, here's what I can promise you based on the authority of God's word, okay? When you don't compromise. Now, this might sound too good to be true, but this is just the grace of God. When you don't compromise, you might have some pressure put on you. But here's what I can firmly and assuredly tell you from the Bible, and that is this, write this down. God will bring you out and promotion will follow. When it is undeniable that God is with you, I can promise you people will promote you. Maybe we just haven't been getting the promotion that we've desired because we haven't let God move in us like he's wanting to move in and through us. I'm just saying. Okay? So, again, I don't know about you. I'm taking the limits off of God. I'm letting him have his way in my life, do what he wants to do. And if it comes down to me rubbing somebody the wrong way, not on purpose, but because of what the word says and what the standards of God's word are, then so be it. I don't owe them an explanation. If they don't like it, then whatever pressure they bring upon me, guess what? I have somebody greater with me. I have somebody who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with me. And so I don't owe them an explanation. I don't have to defend myself. Now, if I'm out doing a bunch of foolishness, then I'm going to have to defend myself. But when I'm standing up representing God and standing on his word and standing for what's right based on his word, I don't know anybody in explanation. So do what God tells you to do. Don't compromise. Don't let potential problems or potential loss sidetrack you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not. And listen to this. Here we are still talking about them 3,000 years later. How would you like it? Now, I'm, I'm not trying to feed your ego when I say this, but how would you like to have an opportunity to stand up for your convictions and not compromise, and because of a spirit of excellence, people are talking about you and what God did for you 3,000 years from now? That's something. Amen? Did you get anything out of this this morning? So how many of you aren't going to compromise? How many of you have a spirit of excellence? All right. I know you do. Say this after me. Say, I have a spirit of excellence. Compromise is not part of my life. I hold fast to the word of God and the convictions of my heart. I will not bow. I will not waver. I will stand fast. For I know my God is with me. 
He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He is my ever-present help. And I stand strong in him. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.